1: Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urutia to continue our once-a-week cadence of the slow, slow for us at least, uh, month on the calendar in terms of Miami Hurricane football and recruiting goes the month of May uh, in this once-a-week show time for us here on Through the Smoke, but we do have plenty to touch on, and, and today, Gabby, we're going to do kind of a full mailbag podcast, so uh, I'm going to set a timer uh, once we start t- taking those questions for an hour, and we'll try and get to as many of those questions as we can within that hour timeframe, uh, but before we jump into those questions, Gabby, we do have a little bit of news to touch on that's happened since the recording of the last podcast couple commitments uh, to the football program and let's start with a 2024 commitment local linebacker Vincent Shavers commits he is now at Miami Central he played the last couple years i believe at Monsignor Pace 6 foot 1 205 3 star with an 86 rating at this point in the evaluation process last year for pace he had 56 tackles 8 sacks And an interception, he ran an 11.86 in the 100 meters uh, this track season, which is a decent time for a linebacker. But Gabby, this commitment, for all intents and purposes, kind of came out of nowhere. What's your impression on how all this came together?
2: Yeah, I do think it came together pretty quickly. Uh, You know, this is the spring evaluation period, so it's an opportunity for the coaches to get out. And and watch guys in person, kind of see them with their own two eyes, you know, going through, through their practices. Uh, so I, I think that's a I think that's a situation that, you know, where you know it was it was Derek Nicholson, it was Jason Taylor, a couple other guys at Miami, uh, watched him practice at Miami Central. Again, you mentioned he played at Pace last year, so we're just watching him kind of being a part of that Central program. It's a program they highly respect. They think those kids are being coached up well. They think they're being coached up dis- in in a discipline you know, manner, which David, I think we can attest for that, you know, yeah. central practice is harder than, you know, anyone that I've seen practice. I mean, I think it's highly intense there. So I think they feel like Vincent Shavers is taking those next steps in that, in his developmental process. Uh We saw a year ago, Stan Quan Clark kind of making, you know, on that same track. And I think Vincent Shavers and Stanquan Clark are two very different prospects. Like Stanquan was more of a safety moving down to linebacker and Vincent Shavers. He mentioned was it was eight sacks last year, uh, maybe more of a, an edge rusher and they highly value his ability to get to the quarterback. They think he's a, a really strong pass rusher, but they also think that he's taken those, those steps as a pure linebacker. They like him at that will spot. And again, I think he's someone that they walked away uh, from, you know, 95th street over there and uh, felt like he's he's someone who is going to just continue to get better uh, over the course of his senior year six foot one uh, a little over 200 200 pounds uh, they feel like he can get into that 220 225 pound range and end up being like a will linebacker you know someone that could end up being a rotational piece who knows maybe one day end up starting for them but they 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 like the kid and I think they're just kind of betting on their own evaluation so uh, I think that's kind of the the, the the whole thought behind uh, the Vincent shaver stake, which hey I can get on board with.
1: Yeah, eight commitments right now for this 2024 class. still only one four star commit with it being chance Robinson, uh the wide receiver from St Thomas Aquinas. Again, let's uh let's wait to judge a full or a let's wait to ju- start judging a class until maybe the start of fall camp in August. You and I have made it clear to our listeners here how June-July is really kind of the, the key starting point for any recruiting class. That's when a lot of these prospects are taking official visits, and then a lot of those official visitors uh, will make their decisions in July. So that's when we expect at least Miami to start closing on some of these four- and five-star guys they're chasing. Uh, but for now, you know, Miami's kind of getting the baseline of their class committed. Again, eight commits uh, for whatever it's worth. I mean, recruiting rankings in May don't do much for me, but for whatever it's worth, ranks number 25 overall in the country. Um, Another guy, another commitment to touch on Gabby. This is a younger prospect, class of 2026 cornerback Kasani Giles. He comes from IMG Academy, six-foot cornerback, originally from the state of California. I assume, Gabby, with Miami taking him so early in this process, it means they feel like he's kind of an elite guy for that cycle.
2: Yeah, I think they think he's a he's a legit football player, um, you know, grew up in, in California playing at IMG Academy. Now uh, grew up a Miami, a big Miami Hurricanes fan. Uh, again, I think they feel like he comes from a, a good family where, you know, the intentions are in the right place. It's not. Uh, a kid that's making this early commitment just to kind of make an early commitment. They feel like this is really where he wants to be. Uh, You know, again, there's a great relationship at IMG Academy. You know, this was something that was, you know, thoroughly discussed with the staff at IMG Academy, with people at IMG Academy. And I think, you know, there was a lot of kind of almost like checks and balances that went into all of this. And I think at the end of the day, they felt like, you know, Kasani Giles was like, this was the move he wanted to make. And this was the right move for him. Uh, you know, again, just I think that Miami feels like even communicating with those people, at IMG Academy, that they feel like he's going to be one of the next big things to come out of the national powerhouse program. Uh, he was a part of the national team rotation as a freshman last year. Uh, he started last Wednesday, David, uh, when we went over there to watch IMG spring game in place of the injured Ellis Robinson. And, you know, another thing to factor in here is that Kasani Giles and Ellis Robinson are really close and Miami's recruiting Ellis Robinson, the Georgia commit nation's top ranked cornerback, they're recruiting him really, really hard. And I mean, if, if there's one more person in his ear about Miami or, you know, you know, you know, nudging him that way, even if it's someone younger than him, like Giles, I, I think that's just, something else they're going to take. And I don't think that was their purpose or reasoning to do this, but I think, you know, it, it's, it's something to consider the fact that they're so close. Giles looks up to Ellis Robinson, Ellis Robinson, you know, I don't know if mentors Giles, but they play the same position and, you know, they're together all the time. Again, they're, they're really close friends at this point. So I think, I think there's a few reasons why it makes sense. Obviously I could see that it's really, really early. It's 2026. This kids going to be a sophomore in high school uh, in the fall. I mean, it's a ways, a ways away. But again, I, I think that they're, they're betting on IMG Academy, you know, that pipeline doesn't hurt to have another kid in there advocating for the program. And then, you know, all those other factors. And again, they think he's, he's, he's going to be a big time player in his class.
1: Anyone else you're monitoring here with June camp season right around the corner, anyone else you're monitoring in terms of a commitment for the hurricanes here coming up?
2: Yeah, probably the name I'm watching closest right now is Miami Columbus uh, defensive lineman Dalen Russell. Uh, he has a top three of Miami, Louisville, and Nebraska. He just dropped that uh, pretty recently. I th- he tweeted out that that he has some news coming on May 27th. Uh, I think that that could be a commitment, and I-, I believe that you know Miami's in the best spot to to pick up that commitment. I mean, people. Around Columbus, around the program, you know, absolutely rave about Dalen Russell and the type of player he is. I think, you know, he's a first team, you know, all county kid for a team that won a state championship and, you know, the highest classification in Florida. Um, you know, it's a it, it's a it's a program that produces it's that produces a lot of power five talent. And uh, again, Dalen Russell, he might not wow you with his measurables, but again, David, you said earlier in the show, Miami's kind of building out the floor of the recruiting class right now. And, uh, you know, I think adding Dalen Russell ahead of a June where it's almost it's, it's basically whale hunting season. You know, there, this is, this June push is when they're going to go after their big, big, big targets. They're going to try to get, you know, all the top studs that they're chasing all those big names that they're chasing on the boat. And again, I think we've talked about how Miami wants to sign the best defensive line class in the country. And let's say Miami does get Dalen Russell, which, you know, I kind of expect them to, um, I don't think it takes away from the overall numbers of of of, he doesn't take, he's not replacing anyone's spot. He's not taking a spot away from another one of these big blue chip guys who, you know, could potentially jump on the boat. I mean, there's, there's literally like a group of like 10 guys that if all 10 of these guys wanted wanted in, they would take, Ten defensive linemen, because there's just some non-negotiables in there in their mind that, like, hey, if this kid wants to come, he's coming. So they're still going to go after all the numbers that they want, all the names that they want. But Dalen Russell is a kid again at a school like Columbus that they want to kind of build a pipeline to. And again, there's a lot of Columbus ties within the program, so I feel like this is a situation that that could come together for Miami here over the weekend.
1: The Star Horton Group is a real estate company that covers all of Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Born and raised in Miami, Starr is committed to growing his clients' wealth and securing their futures. One of the top realtors in the state, Star knows the ins and outs of the market to make sure his clients get the best possible value when they sell or
2: buy. If you're looking to buy or sell or know someone who is, call or text Star directly at 561-573-4661. And here's the beauty. When you refer someone to Star, he will donate $250 to the Miami Hurricanes Athletic Fund in your name upon the closing of the deal. So to
1: have a great real estate experience and help our Canes, call or text Star today at 561-573-4661.
2: This episode is also brought to you by Midway Sports, your one-stop shop for all of your sporting good needs, located just two miles south of the University of Miami. This locally owned small business has everything you would need to gear up for every sport. Their stocked up men's, women's, and kids selections has you and your family covered for all of your outdoor needs. Use promo code SMOKE15 for 15% off your online order at midwaysports.com.
1: Let's jump into the mailbag portion of this podcast, Gabby. I'm going to set a timer for an hour, and we'll try and get into get it, as many of these questions in as possible. Uh, first question comes from Kane Cowboys, who asks, what is worth an added win year over year? And then he lists various factors. Cohes- cohesive coaching staff with, worth one more win, an influx of talented freshmen, and talented portal additions worth one more win Tyler Van Dyke being healthy a full year worth one more win that would be three added wins and an eight and four finish which is a reasonable expectation based on the above curious how you view that so you want me to take this or you want to go
2: yeah I I think you could take I mean I know you wrote like something that I think kind of ties into this earlier this week with just like schools that kind of took that leap. So I think that, you know, this is a good question for you. I feel like.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I did write an article on inside View earlier this week where I looked at the, I mean the, the, the standard for the article is a little different than this question. Yeah. Uh, but I, I went back and looked at, um, the power five teams in 2022 that made a leap to 10 wins that did not win at least 10 wins the previous year. So what teams in 2021 won a single digit amount of games and then made that leap to 10 wins. I believe it was nine programs, uh, when at the power five level all told, and they did have quite a few, um, similar trends. Um, one was, a lot of them had at least one coordinator change, whether it was due to poor performance and and the change needed to happen or a guy got hired away to be a head coach or a guy got hired away to be a coordinator somewhere else. Um, but there, I think eight of the nine teams had coordinator changes, at least one of them, at least one coordinator change. Um, a lot of those teams had quarterback play that was much improved year over year. Um, a lot of the teams had talent infusion, whether that is via the portal via high school recruiting that I think was notable and helped elevate the the program year over year. So, you know, look, Miami's efforting to, um, trend in the same way. We'll see if they can pull that off. You know, look, Florida state, Miami fans in general know about Florida State, follow Florida State in some way. They made that jump from being a five-win team in 2021 to a 10-win team in 2022, and they had a lot of those factors as well. They had a a new coordinator situation where uh, Kenny Dillingham went to Oregon, and then Mike Norvell and Alex Atkins handled the offensive duties there in 2022. They had an influx of of transfers that I think were difference makers for them, um, you know, in various spots, and um, you know, I, I think another team, another thing too, is for these teams that are looking to make that leap, you got to learn how to how to win one score games. Um, it's hard to make that leap to to eight wins or ten wins. I think when you're a fi- a bad five and seventeen, you got to learn how to win those close games. And all those teams that made that leap to ten wins. Last year that I'm referencing, they all had winning records in one score games. But if we're going back to the question here, you know, look, I, I, I wouldn't push back on any of that cohesive coaching staff. Yes, I think that's worth a win portal and freshman additions. Yes, that's worth a win. Tyler Van Dyke being fully healthy uh, for the year. Yes, I think that's a win. Um, to me, one of the big variables on this team is a, you know, from a negative standpoint, I think is the depth. And that's where like the injury issue that always pops up for every team in football uh, comes into question. There's still some position groups where I'm not quite comfortable with the depth, but on the flip side, I do think there are questions in a positive way in terms of, okay, if these guys maximize their talents, can they be game changers? So we could talk about the the, the transfers, the newcomers that will lift the team like Matt Lee, Javian Cohen, Francisco Maui Goa, Francis Maui Goa, Jadis Richard, Devontae Brown, Mark Fletcher, Ruben Bain uh, at the freshman level. And then, you know, guys returning. I think Miami has a lot of returning guys that do have high ceilings that haven't tapped into that potential too. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke after last year qualifies. Elijah Royo coming off an injury. Leonard Taylor. Big-time talent. Akeem Mezador, I think, still has some meat on the bone to get better. Nigel Lee Kelly, big-time talent. Cam um, Kitchens, James Williams. So if these players maximize their talent, which, you know, look, I think is, if we're being positive here on a, on a fan podcast, yeah, that'd be great. How likely is it that all those players maximize their talent? You know, development isn't linear, so I don't know if that's fair to expect. let's say they do and they have some breaks on the schedule that go their way. You know, I think nine or 10 wins is not, not probable, but it's possible um, if everything goes right. I also think a big piece of this, Gabby, and I'll stop ranting here, um, that ineffable culture piece to the equation matters. You know, are these players bought in? Are these players ready to be serious about football is the program ready to be serious about football? Is this team ready to fight in the face of adversity or will they fold like they did last year? You know, there's time I've said this, in, I said this in podcasts during this last season when things were just terrible and it, it gets to the point where it's like, what, what am I supposed to say anymore? But you know, there's times where it's like, I don't recognize the fabric of the Miami hurricanes football program anymore from a culture standpoint, just a program of players that's always going to go out and fight no matter what. Um, That was not there last year. It needs to be there this year for Miami to take that type of leap. And so for me, that's also an important piece to this equation of of Miami taking that step, getting to that eight win or more uh, regular season win total here in 2023.
2: Yeah. I mean, you covered it. <laughs> I don't know how much more I can add to that. I mean, I think that was, I think that was pretty solid.
1: Next question. Shirtless Sheriff asks, give us a hot take on each side of the ball. I'll let you go first.
2: Yeah. I'm going to go, I'm I'm going to kind of go two birds, one stone here. Uh, I'm, my hot take on each side of the ball is that Miami produces a freshman all American. So who, I'm going to go you Francis, specifics? Francis Maligo, a freshman all American right tackle. Ruben Bain, freshman All-American defensive lineman. All right,
1: I would say Francis is a lock. I like the Ruben Bain hot take. To me, it just comes down to snaps. Is he going to yeah. get enough snaps? Which I, I, I think, think he, he might,
2: won't. man. I think he might. I mean, just again, you know, I'm getting some like, I, I don't know. I don't even know if it's fair to even like put this out there, like for him, but like just kind of talking to <laughs> He's people. Good. He's good. Like, again, yeah. I, I've talked to someone who's kind of that was around a, a young Brian Burns. Um, and I've heard that Reuben Bain is further along than Brian Burns was as a true freshman. And, and again, they're I, different I, players. They're, they're, different players. they're different types of players. They're different body types. But I think just overall, like havoc, wrecking, all that stuff, uh, right. just what they've impact. been, able, what they more. Yeah. From an impact standpoint. I mean, I was, so, someone told me that, you know, Ruben Bain is the third best defensive lineman that Miami has. And that's kind of crazy. Like yeah. they said, Nigel E. Kelly, Akeem Mesidor were like the top two. And then like Ruben Bain's third. And that that's like not even factoring in Leonard Taylor. Like, I think they felt like Ruben Bain is going to be like that, that good. And again, maybe this is just one person's opinion. Uh, definitely trust it. He's legit. But, you know, again, I, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But that's my hot take is that, I guess, maybe hotter take is that Ruben Bain is, a freshman defensive all-american
1: what do you think is the minimum snap count for that to happen like 300 snaps
2: yeah how many how many would he have to average per game then so he would Uh, have to average like a look like oh like twenty five. yeah Yeah. 27 i think i I mean honestly bro i wouldn't be surprised i feel like they like him that much yeah you know i think he's someone that i don't think they're going to hold him back i think he's someone that they feel like is ready to go and if he, maybe he's going to have to grow into that a little bit, but I can see him being like a key part of the rotation. Like not someone they just kind of throw in there from time to time, like someone that's going to play. Like he, like, yeah. Ruben Bay, I, I think Ruben Bay is going to play.
1: So I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, those are good. Mine. So on offense, I will say, um, and I don't know if this is going to come across as like a hot take for our listeners. Cause we've been hyping this up you know, since the spring, but I do think like your general ACC football fan would find this kind of hot takey, but, uh, my, my hot take would be Miami will have the best offensive line in the ACC, which I think is saying something for Miami, which is, you know, a program that's featured average to above average at best offensive lines for what the past, I don't know, eight years or so. Um, you know, I really do think this will be the best offensive line Miami's had since like Brandon Linner, John Feliciano, Chantrell Henderson, yeah. those lines. So, um, again, I don't, we've been pounding the table about that on the podcast, so I don't know if our listeners would think that's hot takey, but I'm not sure like the rest of the ACC realizes yet how good Miami's offensive line is going to be defensively. My hot take is kind of strong. I think, I don't know. It's a little, uh, it's a little risky, but I'm going to roll with it. My hot take on defense is the defense won't allow a team to score more than 40 points in a single game.
2: Yeah. I mean, I can, we'll see that. Uh, that would be nice. How, how many, it was five times last year. So they last did
1: it. year was one, two, three, five. Yes. So, um, you know, look, I just think in general, the defense this year is going to be better organized uh, on the same page. I do think like linebackers much better. Uh, there's better depth overall. Um, and, and look, I think there was various reasons that I think Miami can control and improve on this year, like last year, right? Middle Tennessee State, uh, of course, scored 45 points. Looking back, like, obviously this is all in hindsight, but I think it's very fixable. Please don't play man coverage against an air raid offense. Duke <laughs> scored 45 points. Please offense, don't turn the ball over eight times. Five fumbles and three picks. And then on, on the defense, please play a little bit of red zone defense. Duke, play, Duke scored a touchdown, five of seven red zone trips in that game. FSU, 45 points. Please learn how to stop the counter. Uh, Clemson, forty points. Please get off the field on third down. Clemson went fourteen of nineteen on third down that game. Pittsburgh, forty-two points. Be a ser- to me. That one's just like be a serious football program that keeps fighting. Uh, final game of the year. Pittsburgh ran for two forty-eight and three touchdowns, and then Jared Ray- Wayne, their top receiver, had hundred and ninety-nine yards and three touchdowns. That was a game where Miami just folded. It was pathetic. Yeah. You know, everyone was
2: game three Celtics.
1: Everyone was over the season by that point. So it was just like, no one really hammered Miami about that, but uh pretty pathetic Pittsburgh game was terrible. So in general, you know, look, when I look at this year's schedule, what teams do I think can challenge that, you know, North Carolina is Drake may, but last year, you know, held them down to what? 27 points, I think. So that's a game where the 40 point, Game could be in question here for Miami. Yep. Maybe Texas A&M if they figured it out. I don't know if like Jimbo's about that life, um, but maybe them Florida State. I think again is yeah. another you know high-powered offense, especially with some of their additions here in the portal uh, recently to kind of stack the talent. So those are kind of the three games in particular. Clemson. I mean, I guess maybe, but
2: yeah. Louisville.
1: I just don't know what to make of Louisville. Yeah. I mean, they got that uh, coach Bram is definitely an offensive guy that would love to do it. I don't know. I'm wild just, ge-
2: I'm just skeptical
1: year one. If it'll click like that,
2: they're getting but some, they're getting some hype. They are.
1: They are. So a little hot takey on defense again, 40 points is a low bar, Uh, but still like, that's a That would be a big improvement year-over-year year if Miami can not allow a opposing team to score 40 points in a single game. Um, Visionless Dave asks, how much can early production from freshmen like Gabby's boys, Ruben Bain, and Francis mm-hmm. Maui-Gnoa, uh, Mark Fletcher, Ray Ray Joseph, those are the guys he lists, but there's more I think that can make an impact too. Uh, impact the perception of Miami to young men in the 2024 recruiting class. Is that just as important as our record next year?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would say so. I think it's super important that people see uh, Francis up playing, that people see Ruben Bain playing, and I, I mean, I mean, again, all those guys that you that you name. But I'm just going to go back to the spring game. Uh, Miami had Aiden Breland, um, Justin Scott. Uh, T.A. Cunningham. I'm just talking on Breland and, and Cunningham. I mean, Breland and, and Justin Scott for a second. Like, Justin Scott just raved about how Reuben Bain was a true freshman who had three sacks in that game and was just kind of, like, one of the most dominant players on the field. Like, that stuff matters, especially at some key positions like that. You talk to offensive linemen and even just guys like the IMG guys who respect Francis. Like, I feel like every single one of them bring yeah. up how Francis Malgo is already starting at right tackle for Miami. Like, to see these guys on the field early to see them do well is going to impact everyone around them. Like it's going to impact all the recruiting stuff. I think it makes it really easy for Miami to sell like, Hey, these young guys are coming in here and playing like, well, you, you can go somewhere and wait two or three years to maybe get on the field, or you can come here and look what our freshmen are doing. Like they're immediately making names for themselves here. And I, I think that matters again. I mean, Running back with Mark Fletcher. I mean, you sell that to a guy like Jared Gibson. Like Jared Gibson sees Mark Fletcher on the field, you know, doing well. Like that's attractive for for a guy like Jared Gibson. Uh, we talked about Damari Brown. Like Damari, like someone. I guess I don't even think he was on there, but like Damari Brown comes and you know ends up maybe later in the year performing at cornerback. Like I think that matters to an Ellis Robinson to you know some of the a uh, uh, Jalen Hayward, a uh, uh, Dakota Fields, even out west. Like guys that they're chasing at cornerback um you know all these Ray Ray Joseph to see some of these guys in the slot like a Tank Hawkins like a Tank Hawkins who they're recruiting as a slot receiver to see Ray Ray Joseph perform well as a freshman like I think that would influence that there like I think the way that these freshmen perform is huge and it needs to be with winning I don't know if it's as important as winning because if they win Three games but the freshmen perform well i mean that's not i feel like i feel like they, the the freshmen if they contribute to a winning season and again winning season we're talking eight let's say eight wins if that let's say that's right. the bar if the freshmen contribute to an eight win season like yep. it's just i mean i think it's, it has like rocket ship potential like it could just be like man these guys are turning the corner and the young dudes are playing like that makes that's a recipe for a very very attractive situation for for elite recruits and again i mean June's going to be really big for these guys. And I think that's what they're selling. And I do think it's paying off. And I think that's why they wanted to get so many kids here. Like come see what these young kids are doing on the field right now.
1: Show improvement on the field, play these young players enough. And I do think the staff understands it's important to play the young players and be competitive in the NIL space. If Miami checks those three boxes, I think they can definitely sign another top 10 class. And that's, that's the name of the game right now with where this program's at in terms of building things to being a program that can compete for championships on some level, whether that's ACC, et cetera. So um, yes, playing the young players is something that this staff understands is important to do this year. Money can be the root of all evil when you don't understand it. A couple of bad decisions shouldn't continue to affect us years later, and the path to recovery shouldn't be as painful as the regret. Everyone at some point needs help with their financial situation, and Pride Financial can lend that helping hand. Pride Financial offers a patient a judgment-free environment, and will provide you with the knowledge and power you need to realize your dreams. Once they identify your goals, they will guide you to the finish line, holding your hand every step of the
2: way. Repairing and building credit is only the first step. They'll educate you on a variety of banking and financial institutions, what resources they offer, and how to maximize funding for your financial needs. Gain access to a vast network of realtors and licensed dealers to receive outstanding deals on prime real estate and the newest vehicles to fit your lifestyle. They even offer education and services to assist those more involved on the business side of things. Text
1: 305-393-7698 or email globalchoice-consulting at yahoo.com to book a free consultation with Pride Financial, and let's take pride in our finances. Next question, what is one game next season? This comes from slopes Z Um, what is one game next season you think Miami can upset or get upset
2: by? Yeah. I mean, I think there's probably a couple on each side, right? Like I have one on each. Yeah, I have one. I have one on each Um, for, I guess one game that Miami can upset. Like, I mean, honestly, I kind of, I mean, there's a couple that come to mind, but like, I feel like Clemson came to mind. Like, I feel like Miami played Clemson you know, well for a period in that, you know, twenty twenty two season where it was just like, hey, if this team played like this for four quarters, if Jakari Brown hits a wide open Xavier Restrepo, I think the game looks a little different. And again, I think that's during a very, very forgettable twenty twenty two season. So I do think like Clemson's one school I'm like one situation I'm looking at and I'm just do You like, know the hey, line? I looked I up don't. the line. Do you know the line? Ten and a half. Like, I feel like that's a very like I mean I feel like that's, I think Miami's, I think Miami I
1: feel, beat Clemson or. I feel more confident in Texas A&M. So yeah. Texas A&M, six and a and ms 65 point favorite. And that's at Hard Rock Stadium. Um, You know, I just feel like, I mean, look, I think Clemson is coming back to the pack a little bit. But to me, Texas A&M is just more of a, this is like a crossroads type season for mm-hmm. them. You know, after their debacle of the season last year, they went five and seven as well. Miami played them very close on the road last year. Um, I do think both Miami and Texas A&M will be better this year. And so getting a win in that game is going to be huge for each program as they're trying to build momentum off, you know, in that early part of the season. It's a week two game, which is kind of more of a upsets can happen type of situation. So I would go Texas A&M. For me to feel good about Clemson, I got to see, I got to see It in that first half of the season. Um, I just have too much respect for kind of what they built to this point. But, um, you know, look, I think you make a fair point in terms of like with a healthy Tyler Van Dyke, if this offense clicks, can they give Clemson some trouble? Yes, I think so. Um, What about
2: get upset by? Yeah, I mean, I'm just honestly terrified of going to Boston College in late November. And I know <laughs> it's like the weather or what. Yeah, just cuz of the weather, like I don't know. Which I just don't like the idea of being in Boston late November just cold, like really, really cold. I just don't love that. So, yeah. I feel like that one's just a scary one
1: for me. And again, these aren't like because like you don't think Boston College is a good team or better than Miami. Yeah. Right. I don't Like for me, it's Georgia Tech. And I don't think like Georgia Tech's a good team or a sleeper team or someone that's better than Miami. Mine is more so just like Miami's been atrocious coming off bye weeks here in recent years. That's Miami's game coming off a bye week. Uh, The last season Miami won coming off a bye week was 2017. So last year, 2022, Miami lost to North Carolina. The previous year, they lost to North Carolina. In 2020, they lost to Clemson. There was also like a weird delayed COVID game that year against Duke that Miami won, I think, but I don't count that. Uh, 2019, they had two bye weeks in that debacle of a season. They played their week zero game, and then they lost to UNC, young Sam Howell. And then lost was that, to... Was that
2: 4th and 17? Yes.
1: Lost to That's FIU. Right. Yeah, let's remind them about FIU too. Oh, that was off a of bye week. Uh, 2018, they lost to Boston College on the road coming off a of bye April. week. And then 2017, they did beat Toledo, 52 to 30. So um,
2: Good Toledo team too.
1: It was. Um, programs that are serious about football from a cultural standpoint... Use the bye week to get better. And Miami hasn't been a program that's serious about football for some time. And that's something that Mario Cristobal has to change. Handle your business coming out of a bye week. And more importantly, get better coming off a bye week. Um, I don't think that's asking much, but that is why Like, if I'm going to randomly pick a game that I think Miami could get upset by, it's that Georgia Tech game simply because for some inexplainable reason,
2: Miami stinks coming off bye weeks. Um, yeah, I think even that Boston College game, like the three games before it, are like not easy. I mean, you go to oh, NC yeah. State, you go to Florida State, come back play a oh, Louisville again. We don't really know what Louisville is yet, but people think that they're going to be good. Um, so who knows what Louisville is if they are good? I mean, that's kind of a grinder. Um, and then you go to Boston college and I think it's like Thanksgiving week or something like that, or like maybe like before, and it's going to be freezing cold. And that just seems just like, not again, it just doesn't sound fun to me. Like it goes back to
1: the culture thing too. Like if, if the season's gone in the tank by then that, that game's definitely on the table as a loss.
2: Yeah.
1: Bowden B me asks, where is offensive line recruiting at? It's been yeah. a bit quiet slash overshadowed by the other positions, in my opinion. So right now, Gabby, Miami has one offensive lineman committed, correct? Juan yeah. Um, And, you know, they got guys set here to visit in June. I don't know if you want to run through those or just in general where things are at with offensive line.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a... Uh... You know, I I get that that's a a position where it doesn't seem like there's like a ton going on, but Miami's still chasing, you know, some of the big dogs, um, you know, right now, probably the biggest offensive tackle target is, is Brandon Baker. Uh, he's, I don't think he's going to make a summer decision. It seems like he's going to kind of let things play out into the fall. Uh, Miami went to go watch him, uh, last week. And again, I think that they just, they feel like they're in that. And again, I think it's just about winning, getting it done, uh, checked in with someone out West and, you know, Brandon Baker has been as well traveled of a recruit as anybody. And they feel like, you know, Miami is one of the schools that, that he's been kind of high on, even, you know, despite the fact that he hasn't been back since March. Um, so I think that he's, I think that he's definitely a name to know another big time target is Andrea Afua, who's from the Seattle area. He's an interior offensive lineman, uh, probably Miami's biggest guard target. Uh, I think Miami's in a really, really good spot there. So uh, he's, he's officially visiting that June 16th weekend. Uh, they're still chasing some, some big time names, like another offensive tackle and Daniel Calhoun. Uh, that's, you know, that's one that they're kind of up against a bunch of big time dudes. Derek plaz is an offensive tackle. Who's visiting on the June 16th. I think Miami has a really good shot to land him. He's one of the people who I think, uh, has a good chance to end up in this class, um, Joseph Ayana, and then just kind of going back to the interior. Uh, you got guys like Joseph Ayanata, Jason Zandamala, who are both, you know, top center targets. Uh, those are two guys that they really like. Joseph Ayanata, I think, is someone that they're comparing to Matt Lee. I think they feel like they have a really good chance to get him. He's visiting at the end of June. Uh, Eddie Pierre Luis is another kid from like that Tampa area. Uh, he's also someone Miami sees as a center, but I think they like the other two more. Uh, a couple guards: Zuri Madison out of the out of Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, Miami's trying to lock in an official visit with him. Uh, Robbie Martin is a, is another interior lineman out of West Virginia. Uh, Miami's working to get an official done with him. Eddie Twerk is a two way lineman, offensive lineman, defensive lineman out of uh, Illinois that Miami has some traction with. He's going to officially visit, um, I believe, the 16th. And Liam Andrews is another guard too. And then again, just some more offensive tackle guys. Daniel uh Nair Daniels. Uh, he has a June 9th official visit. He's huge, six foot seven, like 340 pounds. He's a big guy. Another guy in the Sunshine State, Ty Hilton, who's out of Oviedo, which is the same school that Matt Lee came from. He has an official visit with Miami too. I believe that's for June 9th. So, you know, there there's plenty of, there's plenty of names still on the board, plenty of guys that they're still recruiting, still in it for. And, uh, you know, that's basically a look at you know that's basically the names that are most in play with them right now
1: how big would you guess this offensive line class ends up being from a numbers perspective
2: yeah I again mean, you got you already got one in in um in manaya i could i mean last year's was five right i, I
1: think yeah i could yeah.
2: see it being sim- a similar size like i could see it being you know four or five guys depending on who they can get uh maybe pushing it a little bit more if the right people want in i don't think they're going to tell people they like know so let's say they have Benaya on board if they get Asendria Fua and then they get Derek Plaz you are, you still got Brandon Baker now Daniels uh you know Zuri Madison like Ayonata. like I mean I could see this being up to five like five six guys if again if the right stuff plays out but I could see it being another big off at the blind class I feel like they need to just change the way that It looks top to bottom, and I think that they're going to stack classes, stack bodies until, you know, it's basically just rolling with, you know, the correct body types, uh, you know, even, you know, across the two, three deep, which I think is their overall goal.
1: Long way to go, but at this point, what, and you can define elite, however you want to define it, but what elite offensive linemen do you feel like Miami's in the best shape with right now in May?
2: Yeah, I would probably say Sindria Fua. Uh, the kid, he's out of Seattle. Uh, he only has one official visit locked in. It's with Miami. He visited in the spring. That visit went really, really well. Uh, he's currently the number two interior lineman on the twenty four seven Sports composite, a top eighty overall player. Uh, Look, I think that these guys have had kind of an imprint on the West Coast, especially in the Pacific Northwest. They got Jaden Wayne out of the Seattle area last year. Like, I I think that, you know, Mario Cristobal, just him being at Oregon for all that time, I think that they're going to continue to make that part of the country a priority whenever they can get those types of guys. And, you know, they've been recruiting a Sindri Afua as hard as as anyone. And again, even dating back to their time at Oregon. So if there's one elite guy, that I would say Miami has the best shot with right now, I would probably go with Afua.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all wheel drive and three row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: All right. Paul Erickson asks, of the targets, who do we have a better chance at than the national scene realizes? Don't let any cats out of the bag, but who's a dude whose attention is peaked and not many are counting us as legit threats?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a lot of guys that kind of fit into this category. Like, I think one that maybe stands out is probably like a guy like Dylan Stewart, who I think for a lot of the time, even over the course of the spring, I mean, even twenty-four-seven sports wrote a whole like a whole like war daddy story on Dylan Stewart, like Miami. I don't believe Miami was one of the schools mentioned, like when they were discussing the multiple schools involved with Dylan Stewart. I think now maybe people are kind of waking up to the fact that Miami is very much in that recruitment. But I think for you know, until really a couple weeks ago when he visited, I don't think many people thought Miami was like a legit, legit contender there. Um, his first spring visit was kept very quiet. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't something they that many reported on or that Miami even really wanted reported on. But I think that they've been really quietly working behind the scenes there, got him back down with his parents. I think that thing, that, that went really well. Uh, he's going to get back this summer for an official visit. So I think Miami has a, a legitimate shot at Dylan Stewart. And uh, I'll just pick one more name on the offensive side of the ball. I'm going to go Ryan Wingo, the wide receiver out of St. Louis um he's he has uh i mean not committed he's crystal balled to georgia i feel like a lot of people thought uh that jo- that georgia was kind of a lock i think people think that you know texas tennessee um you know even michigan is a school like he has four june official visits Miami's not one of them but i think that the hurricanes really moved the needle when he visited uh, unofficially for basically a whole weekend uh earlier I think it was already post spring ball. I think it was maybe earlier this month at this point. Um, But I think Miami really did a good job there. And he's someone that they've been really, really recruiting at a high level. Uh, You know, he talked about how he's never really been on a visit where he spent so much time with the head coach. Like I think Miami's maybe more involved in that recruitment than, than the national you know, then the, you know the national in uh, re, the recruiting industry. I would say gives them credit for. Um, again, I think there's a few other candidates that kind of fall into this thing. Like I think Miami's still in it for uh, Elijah Rushing, the pass rusher out of Arizona. I think you know a lot of people are kind of tying Kamari and Franklin to the SEC. I think Miami's very, very much in that recruitment. I think even like an Aiden Breland, where it's like it's Miami interest is well reported, but a lot of people think that you know he's going to go he go to Georgia or USC, Ohio State, or something like that. Like I think Miami's Miami has a legit shot there too. So, um, probably a few more that I can go through, but I think those are, uh, I think that's a healthy dose of of top dudes.
1: Xavier Mincy. Xavier Mincy is
2: definitely one. Yeah. I mean, Miami has an official visit locked in for that big, big uh, June 23rd weekend. Uh, I don't know that he has another visit scheduled, or at least it hasn't been publicly reported uh, of another official visit yet, but I know Miami locked in that June 23rd weekend, which is. When all of their commits are coming, and you know, again, some other top targets, but that's a big, big uh recruiting weekend. So, yeah, I mean, Xavier Mincy definitely falls into that. I think a lot of people think that he's a heavy, heavy Florida lean, but I think Miami's very, very much in that recruitment too.
1: Next question comes from Doblin629, who asks, If you could change the result of one Hurricanes game in the last 20 years, what would it be and why? Ooh. So 20 years we'll say 2003 so we won't say last 20 we can't 20. say, yeah. say that
2: the national championship game the blown
1: yeah we won't say that but uh I mean obviously that would be the answer um but anyways Gabby does one stand out to you
2: yeah I mean I I, I there, there's two that I kind of want that I would go with okay. here but I'm, just, I'm gonna go with one um I'm going to go with the 2016 Florida state loss block at the rock oh. when they kind of, bl- when they, you know, batted down that final field, uh, the, you know, game winning field goal, Miami was number 10 in the country. They yeah. would have been five and O they would have beat their rival Florida state. I think the, the streak had already been alive for a few years. Like Florida state had already beaten them a few years in a row. They yeah. would have yeah. gone to a hope. They would have gone, you know, they would have had North Carolina at home. As you know, maybe I don't know who else lost that week, but they would have been a top 10 team that that loss ended up like put them on a four game losing streak. They ended up winning nine games that year. So if they would have won that, they win that game. Let's say they still lose the next three. They win 10 games. They turn that into a 2017 season where they win 10 games, go to the ACC championship game. Uh, So back to back 10 win seasons. And maybe that could have, you know, changed you know, I don't know, maybe the overall perception of the program, I guess it doesn't really matter too much, but uh, I think it would have been nice to win that one. And again, I think the back-to-back, you know, 10 win seasons would have been nice. Um, The other one I had in mind was just the 2017 ACC championship game. Miami wins the ACC championship uh, beat. They knock off number one Clemson and maybe they get into that college football playoff. And we can say Miami has been to the college football playoff.
1: So it'd be the ACC championship game, not
2: the pit game. I would I would take the ACC. I would take the loss to Pitt and I would win the ACC championship game because I think Clemson was ranked number one. I think they were number. I think that maybe they went to the they're in the number two seed actually, I think. So Miami would have knocked off the number two team as the number seven, like Miami was yeah, ranked seventh, yeah. but it would knocked off number two. Maybe they sneak in as a four or something like that.
1: Yeah, it would have been nice. I don't know how realistic that is because it was no, that- not. It was a
2: blowout. <laughs> It was a blowout. It was a blowout. uh, I'm just completely, like, shifting the results over. Right. That's why I feel like the 2016 Florida State game is maybe more important. And, again, this is, like, that's more of, like, my era. Like, I mean, 20 years ago, I was eight. So, like, (laughs) I mean, I feel like I can't go too far back.
1: Yeah, the – um, so, that Florida State game you're referencing, that was a one-score game. I think – so, that four-game losing streak, I think three of those four, including that Florida State game, were, like, one-score games. So, like, that might – <clears throat> Sorry. That Miami team was really close to being a pretty strong team. Yeah. Um
2: they went to Notre Dame and lost by three.
1: Right. And then they lost, I think, to Virginia Tech yeah, they lost. They
2: went, they went to Virginia Tech and like straight up lost 37-16. But North Carolina okay. was 20 to 13. They lost. Okay. Then they went to Virginia Tech, lost 37-16, went to Notre Dame, lost 30 to 27. And then won five straight to close the season. Yeah. I mean, on paper,
1: that team did have talent. So that was a good pick. And then, yeah, for so of course, I answered this in a way too long winded way. Um, And, you know, the way I wanted to do it was um, one game for each regime.
2: Ooh, okay.
1: So Larry Coker, mine would be the 2003 game losing at Virginia Tech 31-7. to Again, that was a blowout. Um, but then after that game, Miami lost to Tennessee the next week in the OB 10-6. That was the Kellen Winslow soldier game. But if Miami beats Virginia Tech, do they win the next week? Those were the only – so Miami went, I think, 10-2 and that year. Those were the only two losses for that team. That team was a quarterback away like honestly, an above average quarterback away from probably being another national championship game appearance type of team. Brock Berlin didn't get it done that year. He got it done the next year in 2004. Um, But he was, I think his touchdown and interception ratio that 2003 season was like 12 to 17. Um, But anyways, you go look at that 2003 team, that team had some dudes on it and that Virginia Tech game was just brutal. Um so that would be one I would change from Coker's era 2009 or Randy Shannon era it'd be 2009. Miami lost 40 to 37 to Clemson in overtime. A young Dabo Swinney as head coach uh CJ Spiller went off in that I game. He had a
2: kick re- I was at that game. I think he had like a kick return for a touchdown, right?
1: 90 yarder. Yeah. I, I think he I had know. like I think he had like hundred receiving
2: yards. I think he, he had balled that game. 80 rushing yards. And then that's uh, when they had the quarterback that was also like a baseball player, right? Yeah, I think his name was Kyle Parker. Kyle Parker. I think that was
1: it. Um but yeah, don't kick it to CJ Spiller. I think in that game, so that game, that touchdown he scored against Miami on the kickoff was like his six.
2: Yeah, he was a ball. Like he was a ball yeah. of
1: his career. Like, don't do that. Uh kick it away from him. Anyways, uh, Ja'Cory Harris threw three interceptions. I think one of them was a pick six. Miami still lost in overtime, forty to thirty-seven. Brutal game. Looking back in that Randy Shannon era, Miami actually went nine and four that year. Um, but that was a tough one to swallow, and kind of just like the beginning of the end for Randy, where it's like, man, you gotta you gotta win that game. Uh, Al Golden era. Which no one wants to remember, but 2013, Miami went nine and four, uh, but they got throttled by Virginia Tech 42 to 14. They then went on to lose to Duke the next week, which the Yaw Golden era to me was an era of like, okay, once they lost like two games, the whole team just folded and didn't want to play anymore. And that was the case in with this 2013 season where, get throttled by virginia tech then you go on to lose to duke they got throttled by louisville in the bowl game uh that 2013 uh season was kind of the beginning of the end for the al golden era even though they went nine and four uh we all kind of saw how it was going it was drawn out 20 he got 2014 and then was canned in 2015 uh mark Richt. so i'm gonna go with the pittsburgh game um just because that you know look I don't know if a win against Pittsburgh would have propelled Miami to beat that Clemson team. I think that Clemson team was clearly better, but it would have been cool to have gone undefeated in their regular season, which that Miami team in 2017 was on the cusp of, you know, winning some close games, some games they probably shouldn't have won, but they found a way to win. Um, it was a fun team that got a bunch of turnovers and, um, Malik Rozier was was clutching some spots. Um, but yeah, I would go with that Pittsburgh game for Mark Richt. And then the Manny Diaz era, I would change the Oklahoma State game. And I would change the De'Aaron King sustaining his ACL injury because that, of course, had a huge domino effect for the next season in 2021 when you know, he gave it a go. And I think, you know, he did everything he can to play at the start of the 2021, but he was not the same at King that we saw pre knee injury at Miami and, um, you know, him getting hurt. Uh, you know, I, I do think he got hurt a little bit in that Alabama opener. And then, uh, you know, he was hampered. And he eventually was knocked out for the season because of a, a serious throw uh, shoulder injury that was sustained, I think, against Michigan State. Yeah, Michigan State. That he ended up playing through because he's a warrior. Um. But yeah, then he was shut down. Tyler Van Dyke eventually played well, but you know that was a disjointed season and a tough, tough situation. So, those would be my for each era. And really, when you look back at this last twenty years or so, it's just like, man, Miami cannot find a way to get over the hump. Like these guys in general do a decent job of like kind of getting it to that nine-win threshold, but they pretty much every guy, uh, except for Mark Richt, who won nine win at nine out of the gate and then won ten in twenty seventeen, uh, but still couldn't sustain anything close to that after. These guys just can't get it over that hump of Okay, you got that nine mark. Now you got to get to the, you know, consistently consistently winning ten, and that's kind of been the issue that's plagued Miami here in recent years. Anything else to add?
2: No, nah, man, you crushed that. You did Kane's way more fan, than I than I did.
1: Kane fan seventy six asks: There seemed to be some hype around Trevante Citizen before he was injured. Do you think he could come back and be a force for the team? So. I'm so with the wording of this question, I'm skeptical that he can be a force, um, just because it's hard to predict what he's going to look like essentially after two knee surgeries in a calendar year. Um, but I do think he can be a contributor um, eventually. And, you know, he, he keeps himself in good enough shape, at, you know, even through these injuries and the rehab process he still looks the part physically but let's see how he responds in camp before we start um you know making any proclamations that he can make he can be a force it is a shame though because he absolutely was a player that i think was expected to take the reins at some point last season maybe second half of the season um you know i would say now that guy is kind of expected to be mark fletcher so yeah. football's a brutal sport uh, hopefully Trevante can, can bounce back and, uh, fulfill his potential. But I think it's just fair to be like in wait and see mode with, with how he, how his knee responds to everything.
2: That's, that's where I'm at. I mean, just I'm, I'm a wait and see mode to see when he's going to be back. Like, yeah. I don't even know when Trevante Citizen's is going to be ready, like even cleared for football activities. Like, I don't know where he's at right now in his process and maybe he's further along, but I just don't know. Like, I feel like there's, there's just so much, so much kind of like, you yeah, know, I do there's think there's not he's, a lot of clarity on where he's I, at. I do think he's expected to be back for camp, but, okay. but if he's back g- for camp, I mean, yeah, maybe he can be again, maybe he can be someone, but I don't know if he's going to be like the guy, like yeah, like we said, I mean, I think going into that, that fall camp or, you know, summer, like, you know, that summer, whatever, well, I guess fall camp, we could say, I mean, we were both super excited about him. Like we both thought that he was the most talented, you know, most maybe most NFL potential in that running back room last year. So, I mean, I think, I think there's a ton of talent there, but again, what does someone look like after a knee injury and then a setback to that knee injury where you have to kind of clean it back up and go through the process, start the process over. So I think there's just like, there's just not a lot to go off of right now. So I think it's just, let's see him if he's healthy and anything that we get from that point on is is a plus I think. And just, I think I feel like it'll be fair to evaluate him then.
1: OB old school asks, what is the feeling inside the coach's room on the competition between Jakari Brown and Emery Williams? Who do they like to be the guy next year?
2: Yeah. I I mean, I think they both, I think they love both guys. Like I know that they love Emery Williams and they they think that he's going to be a good pass. Like, you know, he's a good, just like maybe more of your traditional quarterback, but I think that they, you know, they love Jakari Brown and everything that he brings from a leadership standpoint, his mentality, uh, his ability to, you know, do, to be, you know, mobile. Um, I think they, they, they think he's an intelligent guy who gets it, um, And I I think that again, when the arm talent kind of comes around, like when he's, when he's on, he's really, really good. So I think it's going to be, you know, I I would definitely lean Jakari right now being the guy in 2024, but I think that they still feel good about what what Emory Williams did this spring. And again, his trajectory as, as a passer. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm leaning Jakari right now. He's an older guy. He's doing all the things the right way. Uh, He has, he takes the right approach into each and every day. And again, I think he's, he's preparing himself to be the guy in 2024 and he works, you know, super hard every single day. And I think they absolutely love his mentality, his mindset. Uh, but again, I think there, there's also encouragement in the way Emory is coming along as well.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think they believe. uh is going to be the next starter. Um, and yeah, I think they're all in on him. Look, look, I don't like talking about nil stuff because it, it is what it is. But they gave Jakari a nice little nil bump uh, after his showing in the spring because they were encouraged by his development. Um, you know, look, I, I do think Gabby, after this year, seeing his trajectory, the improvements he's made year over year, I think Jakari is going to be a good quarterback at Miami. Um, I, I I do think he needs one more season to develop. Um, you know, this fall he needs to develop, keep working on his accuracy in particular, but, uh, he's got the intellect. He's got the athleticism. He's got the arm strength. He's got the leadership approach. He's got the mindset uh, that you want at the quarterback. The last thing for him is just that consistent ball placement needs to be on point. Um, and he's getting better with that. And it just needs to continue. But I do feel like internally, they're kind of the guys on the roster. They're all in on Jakari for the next starting quarterback. Let me ask you this, though. Do you like I wouldn't be surprised if Miami goes out and adds a a quarterback in the portal uh, after the season to compete with Jakari. And, you know, I think Jakari would welcome that. I don't think he'd shy away from that or get in his feelings about that. And uh, yeah, how do you feel about that?
2: I I I would personally love that, and again, I think knowing that Jakari wouldn't back away from anything like that, uh, I think makes me love it even more because, I mean, one, your your room is just from a scholarship standpoint, yeah, they is is imbalanced. Like they need to get a fourth, they need to get a fourth scholarship quarterback. Like every school, summer,
1: in my opinion, but
2: yeah, yeah, ideally in the summer, like you go you go find someone a grad, whatever, like go get an arm but you need you need to have at least four scholarship quarterbacks on the roster so i think in december at the latest you know they need to go they need to go find a quarterback to kind of come in for the spring someone who's capable of of of, of pushing Jakari for the, for the job. Like, I think you always need to elevate the room. You can't bring in someone and be like, Oh, we hope that he does it. Oh, we don't think he can beat out Jakari Brown. Like we, you got to get someone who you feel like could potentially play because you need to create, I think you need to create a legitimate quarterback competition because I think that makes everyone, yeah. and I think that makes everyone better. So I think in December, they've got to go get a guy uh, again from just to, you know, sh- let it, let it, let it, let it play itself out. And I think, again, I think Miami feels like Chikari would ultimately come out of that because of everything that he's shown them. But still, you need to go out, get a dude in December. That's that that's my personal opinion.
1: Attention business owners. I'm going to say three words you've probably heard of by now. Employee retention credit. If you're a business owner with W-2 employees and you haven't explored this program, you need to schedule a call with our friends at Foreman Law Offices, ASAP.
2: The employee retention credit can put thousands of dollars back into the hands of business owners. However, the rules are complex and have changed many times since the inception of the program. You need to have a qualified law firm with experience in the ERC. Evaluate this for your business. You won't owe them a dime until you get paid. All you have to do
1: is go to erclawyers.com and fill out the short questionnaire to schedule a call with their team. Two minutes may be worth thousands of dollars for your business. Get it done today, erclawyers.com. Tell them TTS sent you for Through the Smoke. Are you a business owner or manager in need of seasonal or temporary staff? Let the folks at LT Pro Enterprises assist. The folks at LT Pro Enterprises can help you find laborers for your business in the state of Florida with an expanding footprint to other states as well. Reach out to Lionel Torres at TorresLionel1, the number one, at gmail.com. LT Pro Enterprises, your source for all of your staffing and labor needs. So the next two questions kind of tie in together, so we'll just, we'll group them together. One is from JJ227 who asked, summer outline of wind camp, Camp start and when the fellows are returning to campus. So to me, that's just kind of like, Gabby, can you take us through like the summer camp slash official visit scheduling in terms of the fellows returning to campus? Yeah, they're they're on campus now and working out, going through off season workouts, organized team stuff on their own, et cetera, et cetera. And then the other questions from Forever Kane, nineteen ninety. Can you guys explain the unlimited official visits? Is it for the prospects and how does it affect the program? So the month of June, Gabby, it's going to be busy with camps and official visits. Explain how Miami has kind of structured their month of June and how they're going to handle this from a scheduling standpoint.
2: Yeah, I mean, June is going to be filled with, you know, again, just different types of camps. So June 1st, there's a specialist camp. Uh, So that's basically just kickers, long snappers, all that type of stuff. Which is
1: what day of the week?
2: that's on a thursday I, believe. I mean i have to check i'm pretty sure it's a thursday yeah Yeah. so june 1st is a thursday and i think most of the camps are on thursdays are, are on thursdays like most of like right. the notable camps are are on thursdays um yeah thursdays and i think like su- and then like sunday like sunday morning-ish after that they've already kind of like left from official visit so they do specialist camp on Thursday, the, uh, Thursday, June 1st, then they have an offensive defensive offensive line, defensive line camp on June 8th and on June 25th. On both those days, they're also they're also doing a seven on seven. And then um, June sixth, which is a Tuesday, I believe they're doing like a youth camp and then they're doing another youth camp on the 13th, which again, I think is just during the week. And then on June 4th, 15th, and then June 22nd, which is Legends Camp, they're doing like a prospects camp. So they're just doing like just overall like bring all the dudes you got and they're just going to go through what they call technique and fundamentals. So it's going to be a busy, I mean, it's going to be a basic, busy summer.
1: The basic rhythm of June is going to be Thursday camp, right? Yeah. Friday, Saturday, official visit. Sunday official visitors leave Sunday
2: early in, the, early in the morning
1: after they leave then they got the camp right yep. um do you agree with that structure because I think in the past a lot of teams would try or the program would juggle camps and official visitors on Saturdays
2: yeah and uh I I don't think they're going to do that at all this year like I don't think yeah. at all and I know so last like, year there's been a like there's been a few times where they've kind of Coordinated with each other. I think Manny Diaz's last year, they did something like that where they kind of came on the they, they're on the same day. And then yeah. the official visitors are just like hanging out. Yeah, it's um, awkward. Yeah, it's weird. um So I think it's a good flow. uh I think uh, I agree. You know, it's organized. I it's like organized. It. You do Thursday handle what you need to handle. Sunday, by the time this camp starts at nine a.m. on Sunday, like ninety percent of your official visitors are probably already out the door. Uh, so they can just
1: allows you to pivot too, like. Yeah. I think most most programs do their camps on Saturday. So if Miami's gonna do theirs on a Thursday, these guys that they want to camp can come in on a Thursday, no problem. Yeah. Do you think it's weird that
2: Legends camps on a Thursday? I don't. I, I don't, but I don't. And you know what I think is what I think is kind of interesting is that like I feel like Thurs that Thursday is right before like that big official visit weekend where it's like a lot of like the commits and stuff like that. So, like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Judd Anderson is throwing at Legends Camp on Thursday. Chance Robinson, like, lines up and is catching passes on Thursday. Maybe some of these other guys who are, you know, Dylan Day, uh, Chris Wheatley Humphrey, Isaiah Thomas, like, whoever's coming, all the big big guys that are coming, uh, Jalen Hayward. Like, what if these guys all come on Thursday, camp, camp, they camp at Legends Camp, and then they just all kind of do their official visit stuff, you know, Friday, Saturday. So, I feel like it makes it almost like extends again. I'm not saying that that's what's happening. I haven't heard that that's happening, but I think that's what it like opens the door to. And I think that that's, I think that there's something to that. I think that that's a smart play. Like if that's their plan, like again, not saying it is, but if that's their plan, I mean, I think it's a good way to get, Judd Anderson there throwing and who's popped into legends camp in years past. Like I think Jeremiah Smith has come Jojo traders come Brandon Innis went that one year. Mark Fletcher was there one year. Damari Brown was there. I mean like dudes end up showing up. Like the big local yeah. guys all end up showing up like big names end up at legends camp. It's just how it goes. So if some of these guys are throwing that one year, remember Earl little and Marvin Jones jr. Just, they yep. they, they just threw him cleats and they ended up both working out and you know, again, I, I think that type of stuff matters. Um, David Hicks worked out at legends camp as a going into his junior year who sure. ended up being like the number four player in that 2023 recruiting cycle. Um, so dudes are going to be there. So, uh, I mean, I think doing it on a Thursday like that makes sense. And again, uh, even for some of these guys who are maybe oving or anything like that, I think it's a good chance for them to maybe even be there sooner, work out, uh, you know, all that fun stuff.
1: And then unlimited official visits. So, you know this is getting in the weeds of like hardcore recruiting talk but yes <laughs> forever right prospects from from the prospect point of view have only been able to take five official visits where the schools pay for them to visit their school they can do that five times uh during their final year at at the high school level um and that's why like a top 5 is significant uh if a recruit releases a top five typically those are the five schools that they're going to take an official visit to um but now from the prospect side of things they have an unlimited amount of official visits i will say though gabby from the school side of things schools can only bring in i think 56 official visitors and for now that's still the case Mm -hmm. so that's capped so that's somewhat limits guys from taking 30 official visits or yeah. whatever you know uh, no one's
2: gonna be taking like nine official visits
1: right and in general i don't think they are gonna take more than five because it's number one it's it's an exhausting process like
2: five well, is already a lot like the recruits take, like, get
1: yeah. over it by the fifth official visit and then also too like what school is gonna sign up to be like a guy's seventh official visit like let's just call it what it is at that point um, but what's, do you have any take on it at all?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little excessive. I mean, again, I, I don't, maybe there's a few kids who are going to set up six official visits, but like if someone just starts taking like seven, eight official visits, like, yeah. I don't To me, that's a red flag, honestly. Who's here like, for it? Yeah, no yeah. one, no one's here for that. Like, I don't think the right. schools are here for that. And I think it, honestly, it puts schools in like a weird place also because maybe there's kids that are going to be like, oh, well, if you want me to come watch you play, like, let's say I'm, I'll use Miami as an example. Like, you want us to come watch Miami versus Clemson? Okay, so OV us. And it's just like, but what if, like, you don't have a ton of, like, like they can take as many OVs as they want because they have OVs to use. They can just use as many as they want. But, like, if you're a school and you're still tied at 56, and you right. also have to wait for December, you're kind of in a weird spot. Like, hey, man, I'm sorry, we can't really OV you uh, right. just because we don't have as many visits, like, like, you know, I, I just think it's a strange thing to do all that and then not give the schools more official visits, but I don't think the schools want more, like they probably want maybe some, a little bit more official visits, but they don't want, they don't want yeah, 75 just, official visits. Yeah. It just feels like it's just like, okay. Like feels like it's just something they did to do it. It's like kind of like companies that give like their employees, oh, you have like unlimited vacation days or days that you can take off. But then it's just like, no one ends up taking that many because it's just, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's just strange. So I'm not a huge fan of it, but I get it, I guess, but I just don't think like the average player is going to use more than five official visits. Cause I think five is more than enough. Yes.
1: All right. So, um, let's go on. This is a good question. I think Ben J two asks. Ray. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I said that pretty lame. Uh, <laughs> but I'm reading it. I mean, you know how it is with this. No, we're grinding it out right here. Yeah. Um, Last year you said, if we got a guy like Brandon Innes, it could change our locker room right away. Of the 2024 recruits, do you see anyone that would do the same? So basically we're we're talking just like a talented guy. That's also a culture guy. So Brandon Innes, five-star wide receiver, but also just a straight dog. That's about that life hard worker demands the best from his teammates as well. Is there anyone in this 2024 cycle you think, or Miami thinks that they've told you kind of fits that same, uh, billing?
2: Yeah. I I feel like we might have the same answer here, David. I I think, I I mean, I'm going to go with David stone. Um, I mean, I just think he's a total, I just think he's like a total alpha. Um, I think they see, I I think he's just uh, a guy that I think just kind of, again i think he's just kind of like a total pro like he's just the type of dude that he's kind of got that dog in him uh he's he's friends with a bunch of other recruits and all that stuff i think he's kind of like you know kind of like the big dog and i think if he comes to miami i think he changes the way that the that the defensive line room is and i don't think it's like much different than like a guy like Ruben bain who i think is you know cut from a similar cloth um But I think David Stone has that. Like, I think he has exactly what you want on the field. I think he has exactly what you want off the field. Um, so I think David Stone is uh, is one of those dudes. And another name that I've heard is similar, but in a different way, like, you know, kind of alpha-ish, but in, you know, in a way that's been described to me in more of like a Matt Lee way is uh, Aiden Breeland, who's just kind of like going to come in and always do like the right things, maybe not like the louder, more vocal one, but the dude that's just going to absolutely work his tail off and just be a guy that everyone gravitates to, because he is just one an awesome kid an extremely talented dude and just again, works hard and, you know, carries himself the right way. So I think those two, and again, at a big, big position of need too. I think both those guys, I think those are reasons why Miami well, like likes both of them aside from the fact that they're like top 10 overall players in the country.
1: A lot of defensive line questions, so the alarm went off. But I'll I'll do a couple more here. Uh, a lot of defensive line questions we were that were submitted to us. This is tough, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Of the five, def- so I count. Are there five defensive linemen planning to official visit? Because like Dylan, Dylan's have Dylan Stewart and David Stone set their visits yet? Yeah,
2: I think it's for June. I think it, I think both of them are coming on June 9th.
1: Okay. So those two, then you got Camarian Franklin, Aiden yep. Breland, Justin Scott. If you were to rank one to five Miami's Oof. chance of landing them, how would you rank them? One being the best chance, five being the worst. But with the cat like obviously if the fifth guy on this list, Miami's definitely in the mix for it and could definitely land. But okay, uh, so we, going we got into Dave, June.
2: David Stone, Cam Franklin. Dylan Stewart, Aiden Breland. Who's the fifth one you said? Justin Scott. Justin Scott. Okay. I would go, all right, one to five. Like one they're getting in five is like, maybe we'll see.
1: No, you're ranking them one. Like if you think Justin Scott is the most likely to to commit of the five, Uh you rank him one.
2: Okay. So I'm going to put Justin Scott one. Okay. I'm going to put, I'm going to put David Stone two. Okay. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put Aiden Breeland three. Okay. I'm gonna put, Cam Franklin four, and I'm gonna put Dylan Stewart five.
1: Let me ask you this: If, if Miami is able to get a commitment from David Stone, would you bump Dylan Stewart up? There? Yes, I would, because they are developing a nice little friendship.
2: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Aiden, like Aiden Breeland too. Like I think, and these guys are all going to be the same, like David Stone, Dylan Stewart, Aiden Breland are all the same weekend. So like, I'm not saying if you get one, you get all three, like that. That's never how it works, but I there's think, it, I think there's some serious momentum with all those guys. And then Cam Franklin is just kind of like and Franklin. I think it's just kind of like wait and see mode, you know, like, I think you just, I mean, you never really know, but, um, I feel really I feel good about Justin Scott. I think that's clear, I think that's my clear number one. I think David Stone is probably a nice little number two, but then I feel like Franklin, Stewart, Freeland could all just kind of blend together and, and like you shake that up and however it comes out, like probably be fine with it.
1: And those commitments probably wouldn't happen to like July-ish at the same yeah,
2: After so. after June, like you know, yeah. that July, that early July, uh early to mid-July, early to mid-July should be extremely, extremely active.
1: Last question we'll do is from the U Rasta who asks if I were to say we beat Texas A&M and Florida state this year, do we make the ACC championship in your opinion? And if that answer is yes, how high could this class get with a season like that? So first off, I think it's worth saying obviously like A&M game has no bearing on the ACC standings. I understand like, from like a momentum and like, I understand like the premise of this question. Right. Right. So we understand that. Um, But so, yeah, even if this is where I am with this Gabby, even, even if Miami does beat Florida state, I'm not willing to say they will clearly make it to the ACC championship game, just because I don't, Trust the program yet? Um, You know, you still have on the schedule after Florida State, you still have Clemson who could beat Miami. North Carolina could beat Miami. I think at NC State is a tough game. And Louisville, I think, is going to be a tough game. Those teams could beat Miami on any given day. You look at last year, Gabby, and again, this year's team is much different than last year. But anytime Miami played a team with a pulse last year, they lost. Yeah. Do you know who the best team they beat last year was?
2: The best team they beat last year. Mm-hmm.
1: No. Southern Miss was the only team UM beat with a winning record, and they went seven and six. They beat a terrible Virginia Tech team. They beat yeah. a terrible Virginia team and Georgia Tech. So I got to really see bad. more. I got to see more before, you know, I make. I like the question, but like for me personally, I'm just being very conservative going into this season. I got to see more before I make some sort of proclamation like that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm probably on the same boat. Like, yeah, I mean, I think those would be really good signs. Like if you beat Texas AM early, um, you know, you beat Florida state, like you're on the right path. Like, I think that's proof that my, Mi- yes. that Miami's on the right path going the right way. But I think there's still a lot, I mean, there's a lot of football to, to play and I mean, we've just, we've seen this before where it's just like, there's kind of a game that we're not talking about right now. That's just like, it's going to end up being tighter than we want it to be. You know, there's going to be things that happen. Exactly. It's just the way it goes. Like Miami's not constructed top to bottom to, you know, consist to just come out and say that, yeah, like this is going to be a breeze if we get past Texas A&M, if we get past Texas A&M Florida state, we can beat everybody. Like, yeah, maybe, like maybe, but also maybe not. So again, I don't think it's a guarantee and, I don't think winning any games on the schedule is going to guarantee Miami, like any specific game on the schedule, like puts Miami like a guaranteed lock to be, you know, in that AC championship game. But again, that's the right track. That's the track you want to be on. So give me beating Texas A&M and Florida State all day.
1: So let's just do hypothetically the second part of this question. Let's say Miami does make it to the ACC championship game what's what's your expectation for the recruiting class then top
2: five top yeah. six no top five if Miami plays for it, it, it might be plays in the ac championship game like i think it's i think we're going to be talking like top three like on okay. I, that, that's my personal opinion like i think if they're that good that they're playing for a conference championship i think it'll be like kind of ins- i think it has like insane potential
1: it resets the board because then, then you start swinging for the fences you can
2: the- at that point you could start flipping people
1: come back around to air nolan etc cetera, etc cetera, yeah know?
2: you can come back around to a lot of people and there will be no shortage of people smiling writing checks to make sure things happen
1: wow okay we'll get out of here on that so <laughs> appreciate everyone for listening and uh until next time take care